Good morning, church. My name is Joseph Scheid. I'm the small groups guy that Peter was talking about. If you want to have hair like this, you just, uh, you just don't put any shampoo in it for two years. <laughs> I'm not kidding, actually. Uh, so I have the honor of introducing Susie Sung. She's our storyteller slash uh, small group leader. Uh, and Susie's another one of the really cool small group leaders that's at our church. One thing you may not know about her is you've probably heard about Peter's hobbies. He's got a lot of hobbies with kombucha and running, doing marathons, uh, his coffee stuff. But all those seem to have started with Susie first. So if he's an early adopter, then what does that make Susie? <laughs> I think we all want to be like Susie, so now we know that she's doing small groups leading, so maybe, uh, maybe this is what's next for Peter, too. <laughs> Come on up, Susie. Good morning. I want to share some of my experiences with small groups, um, being in ministry alongside Peter for the last 21 years. Actually, when I was thinking about small groups, I realized that the first small group I was a part of was in high school. I was part of our church youth group, so this was long before I met Peter. We had weekly gatherings as a youth group, and it was here that I first felt like I mattered in a group, that when I showed up, people noticed, and then when I wasn't there, I think my absence was missed, or I thought that. And I felt like my presence had an impact. So that's where I first remember being part of a small group. You know, and we just shared our lives as high school students. And one memory I have in high school was when I was a senior and I was um, applying to colleges. And there was one Sunday I just had this, like, anxiety panic attack. And it was, like, in our church hallway. I just broke down and I started sobbing and crying. And it was a pretty embarrassing scene for a high school senior. But when I think about it, I actually remember feeling really loved and seen by my friends and feeling supported by them. So I think that is... Uh, evidence to how I felt in that group. I felt seen and not um, embarrassed with that panic attack, that very public panic attack. So this was the first place where I felt like everyone really did know my name. In 1999, Peter and I were part of starting a church in Boston, and we met weekly there with other people who were starting the church, and I just loved our time there. There were people of all ages. Um, we It felt really honoring to come together in the middle of the week to just share what was happening, to listen to each other, to see what was happening with all our ups and downs. And one memory I have during this time was there was one member of the group who showed up and quickly fell asleep at every meeting. And I felt like, what is going on here? This is not right. How disrespectful. And I just felt upset about it. And eventually we talked about it, like as a group. What is going on? Why do you keep falling asleep? And she shared that she was really exhausted. There were a lot of things happening in her life, at work and at home. And all of a sudden, all of us, including myself, felt a lot of compassion for her and realized that's fine for you to come and to fall asleep in our group, and you can do that. And we actually felt really supported. Just show up. Fall asleep. We'll be here. And it was, um, I remember that. Like, that was our role at that time, and it was a good thing. In 2003, we were living in New York, and we were part of another new church. And this group was made up of all 20-something-year-olds, and we were all kind of working through our identity and our questions about our relationships and who we are. And I just remember this time being a very rich time of just life happening, just internal life, who we are, wondering what is going on, and also external life, things happening with work and life and kids. And it was just a very full time, and I'm so thankful we had weekly meetings where we knew we could show up and just talk and share and connect on all these things that was happening. 
And it just felt like life is so much better when you can celebrate it with people who know you. And you just show up knowing that these people will know you. In 2009, we had just moved to Chicago. And a few months later, maybe six months after we had moved to Chicago, we went on a vacation with our family. We went away for a few weeks. We came back. And we came back, and I realized I had absolutely no one to share my trip with. Like, no one was calling me, and I had no one to talk to. And I really wanted to share about my trip. And I realized that I was not part of a small group at that time. And it was this feeling of loneliness that I actually still remember right now, like feeling like totally anonymous. No one knew me. I didn't really know what was happening in other people's lives. We were going to church every week, and I had individual friends I knew that I got together with, but we were not part of a small group. It was in that small group experience where I felt like I was seen, and I was asked about, and I really missed that. And it realized again that it really is in a small group where that happens. So I'll end with a quote from a friend of ours. And this friend had moved to America as an adult, so English was his second language, and he's from Korea. And so we call someone like that a fob, which means you're just someone fresh off the boat. And I can make this joke because I'm Asian. And he joined our Boston small group, and he was absolutely loving it. We would get together, we share our life, and he just was loving that. And he described small group as when, quote, you make intimacy with me, and I make intimacy with you. And it was the weirdest way to describe small group. And we were just dying laughing, laughing, laughing at him. And he didn't know what was going on. And he looked around and he said, I know what you're going to say, but I'm not fob. And so we just loved it. So I promise you, if you join a small group, you will not have to make any intimacy with anyone. We are going for a connection with each other, but mostly tolerance and maybe friendship. Peter and I are going to be leading a small group, and it's for anyone who wants to learn more about the church, who wants to meet people. You are more than welcome to join us. We're really excited to meet you. There are many others for you to join, and I hope you try one out this fall. This morning, our scripture is from 2 Corinthians. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 14 through 17 from chapter 2 in the NASB version. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Julie Steele. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be sharing with you from 2 Corinthians in our series. Well, today we are talking about aroma. What's your aroma? Is it a sweet aroma, or maybe not so much? Well, if there are chairs around you, maybe that's uh, an answer for you. I don't know. Hmm, okay. So uh, usually, Joseph and I are the only ones sitting in the front row, and so maybe it's us, but now that I realize you don't shampoo your hair for two years, I get what your problem is. <laughs> well, our scripture this morning talks about aroma and fragrance. And did you know that our sense of smell 
is closely linked with memory, probably more than any other of our senses. I did some reading this week as I was looking into the science of smell, and it was really fascinating. It's all about how these neurons in the upper part of our nose generate an impulse, and it passes to the brain along a nerve. And the part of the brain that this arrives at first is called the olfactory bulb. Did I say that right, medical people? I think so. Which processes the signal and then passes information about that smell to areas closely connected to it, collectively known as the limbic system. And this system comprises a set of structures within the brain that are regarded by scientists as playing a major role in controlling our mood, our memory, our behavior, and our emotion. Now, we all have certain scents that trigger an emotion or a memory, don't we? Studies have shown that scent, even more than an image or a picture, is what can transport us back to another place and time. I know that's true for me. My grandmother wore a perfume called Emerald. Any of you know that one? It's an old one, and you can't find it much anymore. But if I'm in a store or someplace and I get a whiff of that scent, I immediately think of my grandmother. And she was, I was four years old when she passed away, which tells you how strong of a link to memory that is. Now, that's a positive memory, but scents can also trigger negative memories. You know, it says uh, that people who have PTSD can be triggered by scent even more than sound. Now, two stories that I have that pertain to negative reactions to a scent. First uh, one is before I got married, some friends of mine gave me a bridal shower, and it was what was called a personal shower, which means you got things for yourself, not for the house, which was way more fun than getting pots and pans. Well, someone gave me this really nice perfume. You know what's coming, don't you? And I was excited to put it on and try it out on Barry and, and get a very favorable response is what I thought. So I put the perfume on and sat down and he said, you're assailing my lungs. Well, I didn't know what assailing meant, but I knew it was a bad thing. And so I immediately started crying and threw the perfume in the trash. So tactfulness has not been one of your strong suits, has it? And I was hoping, Joseph, that in the marriage seminar today, that the lack of tactfulness on husbands could be addressed. <laughs> Too late for me, but you can all still save yourselves, okay? Well, the next story I have is something a lot of you women will identify with. I was pregnant. Barry made this wonderful meal that had tarragon in it. He dished it up, and I sat down, and as soon as I smelled that tarragon, it got me, and I had to run into the bathroom and throw up, and I cannot smell tarragon to this day. Well, you all have things that you like to smell, and I thought I would share a few with you of my favorite things. Buttered popcorn. You smell popcorn, and immediately, no matter where you are, you think about going to the movies, don't you? We all have that, that trigger. The beach, the smell of the beach with that ocean air. This is my favorite beach. This is Pismo Beach. Anybody know where that is? Yes, Ruth. 
That's right, California, San Luis Obispo, which is the place that I think is the closest place to heaven on earth, Pismo Beach. What about freshly baked cookies? What about freshly baked anything, right? There's just that, that scent. I know that realtors a lot of times will have you bake something before they do an open house so that there is that scent in the home to trigger you want to live there. Lysol, all-purpose cleaner, is one of my favorite scents. <laughs> Carla, you're shaking your head too, I know. When I'm in the grocery store hanging out in that cleaner aisle, oh, I just take it in. I love the smell of Lysol, it's great. But last but not least, is actually my very favorite scent of all, is freshly brewed coffee. It's what gets me going in the morning, and probably many of you too. I have a little uh, single cup Keurig in my office, and I like to have it in there because I can make a cup of coffee so that I can smell the coffee being made. It's really wonderful. Some things that I don't like to smell are any kind of seafood. So walking past the fish place at Pike Place, Pike place Market is not a good thing for me. I don't like the smell of car fresheners. They're just so overpowering, and they feel like they're trying to compensate for what they're trying to cover up, and then you mix it together, and it's not so good. Pet food aisle at the grocery store. I can't walk down the pet food aisle at the grocery store. And I'm not crazy about the smell of garlic. I know, I'm really weird. Most people really like it, but not me. You all have those things in your life. You have a scent that triggers either a positive or a negative emotion or memory, don't you? Well, Paul tells us here that we are a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. But he starts out by saying, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma. Now, when he's talking about this triumph in Christ, he is uh, bringing up the image of uh, a Roman soldier who has come back from battle. You see, what would happen is they would come back from battle and they would be burning incense in thanksgiving to the gods for the victory. And that, then they would also be having their captives trailing behind. So this is kind of the imagery that these people could connect to here. Now, the thing that strikes me about this one phrase in this, the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Every place got me thinking, are there places that I don't take the aroma of Christ? Are there places that I don't think are important enough to take the aroma of Christ. You know, do you bring the aroma of Christ to the grocery store, to the people you interact with there? And how do you treat restaurant workers? When you go to a restaurant and somebody messes up your order, are you the fragrance of Christ or are you the smell of condemnation? I am so surprised and embarrassed by some of the uh, Christians I see how they treat service workers. It's, it's really sad and it does not bring the aroma of Christ to them. I think that as I've been thinking about people who have manifested that aroma, I've thought of three different examples I wanted to share with you. 
There was a woman in Arizona last year who worked in a rehab facility that my dad was in. He had fallen and, and hurt his back, and we went down there, and we were taking him into the dining room several times a day for meals. And there was this woman sitting at a table in her wheelchair, a very elderly woman. Nobody was with her, and she had the menu kind of up like this, so you could tell she really couldn't see very well. And nobody was around her, no family members. And so one of the workers in this um, facility, a young Mexican woman, came over and she didn't just kept standing there talking to the woman, she sat down next to her and I, her whole body language, she leaned in and she was asking this woman what she would like and explaining to her everything that she could have. And it was the sweetest scene I've ever witnessed. And afterwards, I went over to her and I said, I want you to know, I saw what you did. And it really meant a lot to me. And I know it meant a lot to that woman. She could have been really annoyed at having to take time out of her day to do this. But she, she didn't. And I made sure that I called the person who managed the facility later to tell them what a wonderful employee they had. Because these people, they don't make much money. And they do a lot of things that none of us really want to do. She was the aroma of Christ in that place. And second, I thought of my son Ben when he was in Africa being Santa Claus or Pierre Noel to the people there. He got there and he went to a tailor and had a very rudimentary Santa Claus suit made. And he gathered donations of candy and he went around to the different villages and schools and took people a piece of candy. And you would have thought the President of the United States had come over there. I mean, the, the thrill that that gave them in this little thing, and it wasn't just children, it was adults. But the one image that really sticks in my mind is this one. When he went Christmas Eve to what was a hospital there in Burkina Faso to be Santa Claus and hand out pieces of candy to these children, most of them who were dying. That was a place he didn't really want to go because it was hard, but it was a place that needed the aroma of Christ. And yes, Santa Claus can emit the aroma of Christ. And last, I'm reminded this last week as we observed September 11th of all of the sacrificial efforts of those first responders and those people on Flight 93. These people running into buildings as people are running out of the buildings. And I think about the brave and selfless acts of not only Todd Beamer, who is the one who is usually talked about, but every person on that plane who voted to not let the terrorists take their plane and kill more people in another building. What a picture of Christ's sacrificial love. I know the aroma of death on the field where Flight 93 went down was overwhelmed by the sweet aroma of Christ in that act that day. Paul tells us we are the fragrance of Christ. However, that fragrance will be perceived differently by different people. Now, going back to the image of the army burning the incense, the ones who won, they loved that scent. However, the captives, they hated it because it was the scent of death and hopelessness. 
You know, some people will be repelled or put off by our aroma, but that's not up to us to judge how they respond. Even those who came in contact with Christ, not every one of them wanted to hear his message. Not every one of them decided to follow him. So it's not up to us about how a person perceives our aroma, it's just up to us to bring it. Now the intended effect of this aroma is to give life, not death, not condemnation. It is God's desire for all to believe and have eternal life. You know, we all know John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. But not many people quote that next verse, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christ came to save, not condemn. Sometimes we Christians bring an aroma of condemnation instead of life. We focus on sin and not the person in the need of fragrance of the forgiveness and hope that is offered to them. Now, a few verses before in this section that we're reading here, back up in uh, the beginning of chapter 2, Paul criticizes the Corinthians for their lack of forgiveness for a person in their congregation. He points out that the offender is in need of comfort and restoration, not condemnation. Our lack of forgiveness as individuals and as a church body will only emit the aroma of death and condemnation. It also does not represent who Christ is, which is what we are supposed to all be about. The stereotype that Christians are all about judgment, it's been earned, and it's up to us to change that narrative. God has worked in my judgmental attitude over the years. My first thought used to be, well, that person got themselves into that situation. What did they do to get there? What was their part in it? As opposed to looking at what the need was in front of me and meeting that need. About 20 years ago, I was in a grocery store shopping, and there was this homeless man just kind of wandering around, and he was all disheveled and had all this stuff with him, and he didn't smell very good. And I thought, why are they letting this guy just hang around the grocery store? Why don't they ask him to leave? Well, as I was being annoyed going up and down the aisles, believe me, I, I am very embarrassed that I even thought this, God really convicted me in a big way. The words in my head were, you need to help this man, not condemn him. And I immediately felt shame. I was an aroma of death at that point with my attitude. So I went over to the deli, I gave the clerk $20 and said, please go tell this man to get himself whatever he wants. This act was much more life-giving to me and to this man than my crummy attitude was. Well, to end here, Paul asks the question, who is adequate for these things? You see, the responsibility to be the fragrance of Christ, it's overwhelming. We're unable to do it on our own. 
It's only having Christ in us that allows us to take that aroma every place we go. If I am left to my own devices, I'm not going to smell very good. I need to have Christ in me to draw others to him. Now, Paul then contrasts himself with what he calls peddlers of the word of God. And another way to say this is those who corrupt the word of God. Evidently, there were many false teachers that had gone out from the Christian community. We read about this in 1 John quite a bit. It says that many false teachers have gone out into the world, and that was from their own community. They mixed truth with fiction to make their message more appealing so that they would have more people following them, which would give them more profit. Things haven't changed much. I think about the preachers who corrupt the word of God by preaching a message of health and wealth. Now, we all want to hear that God promises us that we're going to be healthy and, have, and be rich if we have enough faith. But that's simply not true. It's mixing what God promises and what he calls spiritual wealth and health and eternal life with what's here on earth. So Paul says that he and his companions are sincere in their message, not seeking glory or profit for themselves by spreading the gospel for the sake of Christ alone. Again, stating many times, he wants people to follow Christ, not him. So some application points for us. Do you have a signature fragrance? Do you have a scent that others know you by, kind of like how my grandmother had her signature fragrance that I remember her by? And is that scent sweet or not so sweet? And what about our church? What aroma do we emit? What kind of memory or emotion is triggered when somebody hears about Evergreen Covenant Church? Is it life or death? Is our signature fragrance one that draws people in and creates a space for them to want to belong? Right now, our country and our churches are very divided. What if our signature fragrance was being the church where everyone has a place at the table, politically and theologically? I'm not talking about heresy here, so don't start getting upset about that. I'm talking about keeping the main thing the main thing. The person and the work of Jesus Christ being the only way to eternal life, that's the main thing. Last week, we had several young people baptized down at the lake. Our church and our denomination recognizes both infant and believer baptism. Both are valid. Both are in scripture. It depends on how you interpret it. We can differ on that. Our denomination has six affirmations, and one of them is we affirm the reality of freedom in Christ because there are many things that we can differ on in Scripture as we extrapolate and we pray through and we can see things differently. And as far as politics goes, my husband and I usually cancel each other out at the voting booth. We can still be in a relationship, usually, 
And if we can do it, certainly the church should be able to do it. And what place has Christ put you in, maybe a place you don't want to be, for the purpose of bringing the knowledge of him to that place? There's no place that you do not either emit a sweet aroma of Christ or the stench of death. It's usually not neutral. I have a new neighbor, a divorced man with two little girls, and I have been praying and asking God how I can be the aroma of Christ to that family, as I know they've gone through a lot of trauma and struggle as they've come to this place. And do you feel adequate for such a task? Paul didn't. I don't. I can go from smelling like a rose to stinking like a fish real quick if I'm working out of my own nature. And it's especially challenging within our families. Don't we treat our family members a lot worse than we would treat somebody we're just meeting or some of our friends? We kind of save it for our families, right? You all walked in here today smiling and being nice and greeting each other and all of that, but you know what? Some of you probably came from arguing in the car on the way here. Am I right? And so what you did was you took that spiritual Febreze and you sprayed it all over you to cover up that stench that was in the car so that we all look good to each other and look like we're doing great when really inside, maybe we're struggling. I remember hearing a message from Gary Haugen, the founder of International Justice Mission. It's an organization that was one of the first to recognize the problem of human trafficking in the world, and they started doing something about it. Well, he was saying that Christians were always asking the question, what is God's plan for the world's problems? It's so big, where is God? Why is he letting all of this happen? And Gary said, we are God's plan. We are God's plan for the world's problems. Brothers and sisters, it's up to us to tackle all that's going on out there. We are the ones Christ is using. We are God's aromatherapy for a world that is longing to breathe in the life-giving fragrance of Christ. Will you bring it? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be the aroma of Christ. We thank you, God, that even though we are not up for the task, you are, and that you want to use us. God, help us to look at every place you put us in as a place to bring your presence. Help us to see people as you see them, so that we can be your hands and feet. God, help us to have encouraging words, to be sacrificial in our love and our giving, to be the sweet fragrance of Christ, so that you can be seen and not us. In your name we pray, amen.